0: of the tango banter I am Elizaveta today's topic was born a few years ago when I was in Buenos Aires and I had what I called at that point the worst tanda of my life now I know I'm being a little bit dramatic here, on purpose, because sometimes as dancers on the social dance floor, we do have these experiences that we might call, oh my God, this is the worst. So in my experience, what happened was that I was at La Veruta one night and I was sitting next to a professional dancer whom I knew through different tango circles. She was from the States. I respected her, still do, respect her very much as a dancer. And um, there was a particular milanguero who was trying to capaseo me a few times, but I, I don't know, I kind of, did not have a uh, hell yes sort of feeling about it, so I rejected his capaseo and he capaseoed her. And she said yes. And so she went to dance with him, and I thought, hmm, well, if she danced with him, then maybe he must be good. I mean, why would she say yes to a, to a person who's not very good? She's such an amazing dancer. So the next night this Milanguero happened to be at Salon Canning and he happened to Capaceo me and this time I said yes and I remember very vividly the moment that I took the embrace. I felt his arms come around me and in that moment I knew that it was the worst Tonda of my life because his embrace felt like a death grip it was so tight and so uncomfortable it was in a way the manifestation of all of my fears everything that you fear when you're agreeing to a capaceo with someone that you don't know, that's what I was experiencing. And something interesting happened. Instead of getting upset, I actually kind of laughed internally and I thought, wow, this is the worst Tanda of my life. And the next thing that came to mind was, well, the music still has to be danced. Whether or not this embrace is terrible or awesome, the music is playing and it must be danced. So I'm going to have to dance it. I'm going to have to find a way to still express the music as I'm hearing it. After I was done, I walked off the dance floor and I sat down next to a girlfriend of mine. I had just met this woman a few days ago and we were chatting. And I told her with a lot of joy and glee in my voice (laughs) that I had just had the worst honda of my life. And she was so surprised by my demeanor and I explained to her That there was just this insight of like, yeah, this is also an experience. It's totally on limits. There is still tango to be danced, even in a really bad embrace like that. And we sort of laughed and philosophized about that. And what was funny is that a few days later, This was, I think, maybe the day or a couple of days before I was leaving Buenos Aires. I ran into her again, and I think it was at Salon Canning again, and she laughed, and she said, I was hoping I would run into you, because guess what? I had the worst tanda of my life the other night, and I thought of you, and I just laughed, and uh, we kind of had this camaraderie about this idea. And that experience really stayed with me. And I've since then experienced many other worst tandas of my life, both as a leader and as a follower. And each time these tandas have brought forth various challenges and various lessons so I thought I would do an episode on this and banter a little bit about what really makes a tanda so bad. What, what elements contribute to that? And then what can we do both in our mindset as well as in our bodies to deal with it? Because there's different skills that are very important to get under your belt if you haven't had the worst tanda of your life it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and it's okay to be nervous about it and be afraid of it before it happens but once it happens just know it is totally normal Uh, everybody at some point experiences it And of course I'm being sort of tongue in cheek here, calling it the worst Honda. There might be experiences where they're not the worst, but they're not very pleasant either. So we're gonna cover a whole uh, range of experiences here. Because sometimes it's not that bad, but it's still not very pleasant and it might be painful or uncomfortable in some way. And it's good to just be prepared and have some things in your back pocket that you can lean on when things like this happen. And the goal, obviously, is for you to come out of this experience empowered and feeling good about yourself rather than feeling hopeless and despondent about your experience and thinking that you don't deserve to have anything better. (laughs) Because sometimes that can creep up. especially if you have multiple negative experiences in a row. So why why do these experiences, experiences happen? What exactly is contributing to this? And I would say in my experience as a dancer, I can identify three categories of problems that exist. The first one I'm going to mention is really going to be the biggest issue that I'm sure you will relate. And that is mismatch in mechanics. This is a very diplomatic way of describing something that you might personally describe as Oh my God, that person is a terrible dancer. Oh my God, their embrace is terrible. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God, it hurts to dance with them. If you've said that about a person, yes, to you, it might really feel that they're not good. But the reality is that it's not about them not being good or you being better or bad. It's that there is a mismatch of mechanics. Now, I'll share one more story here, which I've shared before, that made me take on this very diplomatic approach to describing this phenomenon. I had a friendship with a tanguero a few years ago who because he's a dear friend of mine we would dance together and one night in particular we were dancing and the whole time I was dancing with him I was like oh my god this is terrible I mean it's so uncomfortable and it's so clumsy and not musical and what is this person even listening to and I mean the mind just goes on and on with picking out the negative stuff and after I was done I walked off the dance floor and I was standing next to another woman and I was about to say something as a warning to her (laughs) I was going to rescue her and warn her about this person's bad technique and before I could say anything She says, oh my God, have you ever danced with him? He's amazing. He's so musical. I love dancing with him. It's all I could do to prevent my jaw from dropping to the floor. I couldn't believe it that she actually liked it. It was such a dramatic uh, contrast in our experiences with him that I really took it to heart that just because I might have a really bad experience with someone, someone else might really enjoy that dancer. So my personal saying is one person's train wreck is another dancer's (laughs) dreamboat. One dancer's train wreck is another dancer's dreamboat. Remember that. I think it's good to have that in your mind when you're talking about other people's dancing. Because yes, we can get really judgy and we can be like, oh, so-and-so sucks and don't dance with them. But the reality is that you as a dancer might have a bad time with someone, not because they are a bad dancer, but because there's a mismatch of mechanics and that includes a whole range of things it can be the tone of the embrace the shape of the embrace the amount of dissociation posture if there's any sort of mismatch in mechanics there will be discomfort for both or one of the people and there's certain things you can do Uh, that are more technical that I'll go into in a little bit but the fact remains that there will be a range of things that you'll encounter and hopefully as you grow as a dancer and you become savvy at choosing your partners and you learn how to observe dancers to tell whether they are a good match for you or not, a really important skill that I'm going to um, talk about more uh, in the future podcasts because I think it's it's such a great skill to develop for yourself. So you're going to run into a lot of different situations. And if you have a few negative experiences, you might, start questioning your desire to be in tango uh, and thinking to yourself, well, if this is all I got or can get, uh, why even bother because I don't enjoy it? But the reality is that everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has different backgrounds when it comes to their mechanics. And with tango in particular, There are a lot of people who come into tango having never done any other movement practice or dance form. So tango might be their first experience of a movement form that requires body awareness, that requires coordination and development of proprioception. So if that's the case, they just will be at a different level when it comes to their mechanics and they might not be aware of it right if they dance with somebody who is similar to them it might just work fine and in fact I witnessed this um, a number of years ago I was DJing at an event and you know in every community there are a number of people who are sort of you know, they're, they're not technically very good. They're socially a little bit awkward, but they just, they're just sort of there, you know? And every community has this. It's, it's sort of built into the, the structure of a social circle. And uh, so this dancer was, was quite, I would say, inexperienced and, and the mechanics were sort of not really good objectively speaking even if you were to look at this person they were sort of not somebody that you'd consider a very good dancer and there was this one night that this woman came and she sort of had a very similar quality and this uh, male dancer ended up capaseoing the woman and they ended up dancing and I gotta tell you I was mesmerized because it was a total train wreck I mean there was such bad uh, mechanics and floor craft like there was no observation of the flow of the dance or anything and everything was you know, very sort of rough, rough around the edges. However, because they both were so similar in both their movement and their expression and just sort of the roughness of of the mechanics was so similar that when they were together, it actually worked and it looked pretty integrated and I couldn't stop watching it because it was sort of like terrible and amazing at the same time which is what I kind of appreciate about tango actually too because on the one hand it's it's sort of a very hard dance to become great at on certain levels you know requires a, uh, a long list of skills that you have to develop and it takes a long time to integrate the mechanics but also at the same time it's like when you find that person who matches you where you are it's magic right away like you don't even have to be very advanced and it works for some reason so again this was um sort of an iconic moment for me to to watch that and be like, wow, you know, it, it can work. If you have a particular match in the mechanics, magic can happen, right? Now, when we're talking about advancing in tango, and I've talked about like the ideas of what makes an advanced dancer, to me, as I... Continue to dance and think about these questions I really feel that being advanced is the ability to manipulate and change your mechanics to match the person that you're dancing with so whereas your natural mechanics the mechanics that you have coming into tango that are already set they're either going to work or not work with certain people you will jive with certain people and you'll have a terrible time with other people but as you progress some of the skill that you'll develop is to be able to hone this ability of changing your mechanics and that's really the growth when it comes to specifically social tango it's the skill to be able to modulate certain aspects of your mechanics, such as tone, um, pressure, tension, um, dynamics of your movement, how fast your movements are, how, how slow, how big, how uh, small your steps are, like all of those little things, uh, they're different with each person. And the, as we grow and we have the experience of dancing with more and more people, you have more and more opportunity to experience this as a truth. That it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily guaranteed that everybody you're gonna dance with is gonna be a perfect match to who you are in your default state. But the more you learn to modulate your mechanics, the easier it will be to make it work with a wider range of people. So that to me is is just a little bit of a insight about that skill set. So mismatching mechanics is the number one thing that causes this terrible time, right? Uh, The tone, the, the tension in the body, the pressure, the squeezing. If you're a leader, how much you squeeze the woman, you know, she might not like it. Or if you're uh, a follower. And if your frame is too tense for the leader and they're not used to it, they're not going to like it. So both parties will interpret that as, I don't like dancing with that person. That dancer's terrible. Don't like them. Don't dance with them. <laughs> uh, although I will say I'm, I'm more and more, I watch myself and I, I'm reluctant to, give a particular judgment of a dancer. If somebody asks me, they're like, how is that dancer? How's this dancer? I try to give a description that's sort of well-rounded and qualitative rather than I like it or I don't like it, you know? And I'll say like, oh, well, you know, here's what I've experienced with them. This is the kind of embrace they have. And this is the kind of music I like dancing with that person. You know, I'll, I'll give that kind of description so that, it's informative, but not so, um, judgmental because I've actually gotten burnt in other ways too. Like there was uh, a dancer that I really enjoyed dancing and I recommended that someone else dance with them. And afterwards they are like, meh, I didn't really like it. And I was like, really? How, how is this possible? You know, so that also can backfire. So I kind of recommend that you know, if you can being a little bit more diplomatic about it, because you never know, you never know. Okay. Number two, number two is different musicality interpretation. So that is a pretty big, uh, contributor to sort of a bad experience in a Tonda. And of course there's a range. Sometimes it's, as subtle as the fact that, you know, if I dance with the leader who only follows the rhythm and never pauses and doesn't pay attention to the fact that there might be uh, some sort of break in the music or slowing down, and they're just sort of plowing through. And so to me, it's like, ugh, you know, I wish they would, I wish they would pause once in a while or slow down. Sometimes it's about not really listening to the music at all, and certain dancers being very attached to vocabulary and wanting to do fancy moves and not really paying attention to the music. So that, to me, I don't like that experience. And that would, that will be sort of negative. I will interpret it as a negative experience. Other times it's just a different way of listening to the music. Like I can tell we're hearing things differently. And I've told this story before that I got to dance with a member of the Darienzo Orchestra uh, in Buenos Aires years ago and you know in my mind I'm like oh he is a musician in the Darienzo Orchestra he must have incredible musicality and the first time I danced with him I was like what is he listening to I I don't understand and afterwards I was like it must be me it It must be me. And in fact, it was funny because we first danced the Tanda and I didn't know he was a musician on the Dianzo Orchestra. We just danced the Tanda and I was like, uh, this is a no, no, I, I don't like dancing with this guy. And then later he asks me if I'm going to be back on Friday because they're playing that night. And he's telling me this in Spanish. My Spanish is a little rough and I'm sort of like putting it together. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, you're the musician? i on the at the orchestra. I'm like, okay, it must be me. There must be something I missed. His musicality must be so sophisticated. <laughs> so I come back a few days later and he's there and I'm like, let's try this again. You know? So, uh, we dance again and it's terrible. Oh, it was so bad. I literally, I was like, I don't understand what he's listening to. So for me, musicality, you know, is sort of kind of a deal breaker in that way. If the music that they're listening to or how they're interpreting it does not match mine, it's a little bit of a personal hell. You know, it's like, uh, like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> not as big of a deal as the mismatch in mechanics, but up there. Now, the third one, I would say... Um, is also a big player. It's not as bad. I wouldn't say it causes the worst, um, the worst uh, tandas. But you know, I can I can definitely recount certain experiences where I was like, "Ma, I really didn't ex- really didn't experience any joy in this." And that's the actual music, like dancing the wrong kind of music with a particular dancer. And I just had this experience recently with somebody that I really enjoy dancing. I really enjoy dancing with this person. Uh, We always have a lovely, lovely time, but any time that we've danced, it's always been something very melodic and lyrical. Um, I remember a very good tanda with them that was like a late de very juicy, very opulent. Love it. Love dancing with them. And here I was dancing with this person that was something much more rhythmic, had a lot of stops and it was Troilo. And if you know me, Troilo is sacred. I am very picky when it comes to dancing Troilo. And so they asked me to dance and I was kind of like almost sort of, I knew it was not going to be a good match because I, I kind of know this person's movement mechanics and sort of how they interpret the music and so we danced this tanda and I really did not enjoy it and I thought if this was our very first tanda ever there's a good chance I might categorize them as not someone I want to dance with again just because the music was not the right music to dance with them and so certain people you know you might have this experience actually where you dance with a certain person, you love dancing with them, but then all of a sudden one day you dance with them and you really don't enjoy it at all. And you're wondering like, wait a second, what happened? I was having a great time the other day, but now it doesn't work. Check the music because a lot of times it's just not the right music to dance with that person. So those are my three categories of reasons why you might have a bad tanda. Now, what do you do once you are in it, right? Like it's kind of torturous to think of it as the next 12 minutes is just going to be enduring. (laughs) And believe me, I have had my share of those tandas And (laughs) and let me know if you've had this experience where you're like so ready for this tanda to be over. And you think it's the last song. And you're like, oh, thank you. This was wonderful. And another song starts playing. And in your head, you're like, damn it. There's one more song. But then there's also this embarrassment that you're like ready to go off the dance floor. So you sort of have to fake it and be like, oh, great. We have another song to dance together. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... It can be kind of torturous and which leads me to remind you, you know, to avoid that as much as possible, always wait for the Cortina to start playing. like just wait it out because quite often I'm ready to walk off the floor and it's not done yet. So, you know, you want (laughs) to avoid that awkwardness. So I'm going to give advice for both leaders and followers because it's a little bit different I have to say leaders have a bit more uh, possibilities here to make it work because leaders are the ones who set the tone so when I end up dancing with someone who is not matching me in my mechanics which is that happens quite a bit. You know, I dance with a lot of beginners or I dance with, um, dancers who don't have as much experience or who are older and have different uh, mechanics, you know, because they don't have much experience dancing or moving. So my strategy, which I advise you try out is number one, let go of agenda, specifically musicality agenda. If you can tell that it's very hard to make the person do what you want them to do. You have a vision. You want that double timing. You want that pause on that particular part of the song. And you can tell that to make your partner execute that particular detail makes your back spasm (laughs) or it requires you to use so much of your energy that you are in danger of falling over or losing your balance in some way or hurting yourself. If that's the case, let go of the agenda. Okay. And after you let go of the agenda, make your dance as simple as possible. So sometimes, you know, I'll dance with someone and I realize that they they don't do a particular movement to the right side, you know, and it's like the hallmark of my dance is that move to that side. But every time I lead them to that side, they're going to do something different. So just cut out that move. And I quickly try to hone in on what is it that they're going to do willingly. What is it that I can get them to do without much straining? So a lot of times it's get ri- getting rid of a lot of double time, making the steps more relaxed. And I'm really looking for that feeling of relaxing my frame to the best of my ability because the pain and the discomfort and that torture comes from tension. And I know how challenging that is when your partner has a lot of tension in their embrace. There's... Volumes could be written on how to handle when you have a death grip <laughs> on your open side um, it 's quite painful, and you know you want to respond by by giving that tension back and so training yourself to let go of that tension to the best of your ability and doing whatever it is that you can do to walk comfortably so it can just become a simple walking leading box step over and over you know it can just be the simplest movements that you can manage and don't be attached to it being musical so you might lead something and they'll go but they're not going in the timing that you want just let them go you know kind of like let them do what they're going to do, especially when there's a lot of tension in their embrace. And I got to say, sometimes I have to apply that technique when I lead other leaders because a topic for another banter. A lot of leaders are under impression that just because they lead that they can automatically follow. I admire the sheer audacity (laughs) that some leaders have that they're just so willing to step into the follower embrace. I wish more women, more followers had that. I think followers need a little bit more of that, you know, energy (laughs) to, uh, dare to start leading. But for leaders, a lot of times they just think that they can follow because they know how to lead. But nine times out of 10, it's like moving a mountain. (laughs) Being a mountain is a great quality for leading. And this is one of the things I teach a lot when I'm teaching followers to transition to become leaders. I teach this concept that it's not just about learning leading vocabulary it's about embodying that energy where you become a monolith you become the central gravitational object around which the flow of the follower can happen but that mountain feeling does not translate very well when you start following so a lot of times if I lead leaders the amount of energy that I have to put out to get them to move is enormous. And it's been very humbling. It actually has been a really great training ground for my own mechanics. Because to be able to generate the power to move someone like that requires that you really understand how to push out of the ground and use your center and rely on, on your center of gravity and your, your spine and your core and all of those things that are really good to learn. So it's, it's good practice. I never say no to it. I will never turn down the challenge, but also it can be pretty painful. And so my strategy that I found really works in those worst case scenarios when I'm dancing with somebody who's very difficult to move is to relax my body as much as possible to allow my partner to move in their natural pathway and for me to adapt to that. So I actually tap into some of my following technique as a little bit of a cheat perhaps to make it bearable so that I don't end up hurting myself <laughs> now this is for leaders for followers um, unfortunately or fortunately followers have a little bit of a more challenging task you don't set the tone you don't have a choice of how fast or how slow you're going to go the best advice I can give you and this is what I've implemented is to the best of my ability protect and prioritize my own body so as a follower the worst case scenario is when there is this mismatch of mechanics and I'm dancing with a leader who has a death grip on me or their posture is really bad their head is forward or you know, their pelvis is forward, so their legs are running into me. Sometimes there's an opportunity to open the embrace and sort of insist on having the embrace open. That really helps. So if you can shift to open embrace, great. But sometimes that's not an option. So what you have to do is really tap into integrating your own body and protecting your body as much as possible. So you sort of have to kind of put a shell, an energetic shell around your spine. And in any direction that it feels like it's painful, you sort of have to resist that and put your foot down and say no. <laughs> so I give you, I'll give i give you an example. Sometimes, um, on the open side of the embrace, some milongueros will, will push my right hand and my right wrist into an angle that hurts. Okay. This happens sometimes because they get really excited or they're very concentrated or the music gets faster. And as they concentrate more, it's all, it's sort of like this unconscious reflex. So what I do in that case is I will actually resist and force them to accommodate my alignment. And of course, you know I'm opening up a big subject. It's hard to describe these things um, in the podcast setting. So um, I will be doing a, a series of YouTube tutorials on these subjects so hang tight. I'll, I'll give you some more uh, resources to consider how to learn to do that but, basically imagine that whatever direction you're being forced into, you sort of are mm, recoiling against that a bit. And you're sort of saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my alignment here. I'm going to walk at my own pace. If they're, you know, if they're going hundred miles an hour and you're like, they're rushing you, you know, you sort of plant yourself and assert that no, you're, you're going to be going here at this rate you know and that helps a bit however if it gets really bad which I've had those experiences in the past speak up please speak up just say something tell them that it hurts and I had to do that at a marathon about a year ago, I, it was such a painful experience that I ended up telling them that, that it was hurting. They did not take it lightly and they did not like it. And they never looked at me again and they never danced with me. And that's okay. At that point, if it's that painful and you're having that difficult of a time, you might as well tell them. And come what may, if they never dance with you again, so be it. <laughs> you know? uh, and there have been times that I walked off the dance floor and I talked about it. Uh, didn't really have to do with the mismatch of mechanics as much as that, that person was very inebriated, which, which ended up influencing their mechanics. And um, I just couldn't make it work. It was just very unnerving. So, you know, there's definitely a little bit less that you can do as a follower um, in those situations. But look for a place of empowerment in whatever capacity you can so that you minimize these experiences for yourself. So you have a way out, whatever that may be, whether it's actually physically adjusting your posture and body and resisting a certain direction. Like if a leader is pulling you in with their, uh, right arm really tightly, I actually teach followers to inflate their back body in response and sort of breathe into the back body and insist on the spine, sort of pushing back into its natural alignment, natural position And, um, the leader will have to adapt to that. And I think it's also good to take that on as a practice because following doesn't mean, um, giving in, giving all of yourself in, you know, and just sort of giving up your autonomy and allowing the other person just carry you around and put you in places, right? Part of the following, and this is what I think at higher levels what leaders appreciate is when followers have a sort of autonomy and they have their own sense of presence and boundaries and, um, a power, you know, a power that they carry with them. So this is one of those instances that you can be excited about that when you have the worst tanda of your life, this is an opportunity for you to tap into your source of power and you have it you absolutely have it you just need to figure out what that is for you some people will be much more verbal and they'll say something other people will find a solution in their bodies and sort of adapt you'll find your strategy now the third suggestion i have for everyone leaders and followers is to do what i did with the worst tondo of my life, and that is to laugh at it. You know, that ultimately, like, wow, this is how bad it can get. Holy crap. (laughs) Like, you know, life is about contrast, the yin and yang, the play between the dark and the light, the exhale and the inhale, the contraction and expansion. So, It only makes sense that along with that blissful, otherworldly experience that we chase, that we so want to experience in tango, that we would have the experience of that contrast where it's like, oh my God, I didn't even know it could be this bad. So knowing that that's just life and we're living out a certain microcosmic uh, insight about life in general... We can have an attitude of humor about it, and you can share that humor with others and just, you know, celebrate the fact that you've got another one under your belt, that it was so bad that um, you want to write about it. <laughs> and making light of it will ease the experience, you know, and it will ease your memory of it because ultimately the goal is that we all come away still grateful for tango and still having had fun and having a bad tanda is an experience but it doesn't mean that it has to be a negative experience that you carry with you as this like uh a boulder around your neck like oh it sucked i never want to see that person again and you know, I hate tango, (laughs) because it it can be that way. But I think when you know that everybody goes through that, and it's just a matter of time before we all experience it, uh, and we experience it every so often. um, I think it also makes you that much more grateful for the tandas that are beautiful, and that work really well. And I would say that The worst honda of my life that I described at the beginning of this episode contributed to me developing skills that have minimized those experiences. I have become a lot more adaptable. And of course, learning the opposite role definitely helps because when you understand how it feels from the other side, it is a revelation that you can get in a second versus having to go to classes for years and having people tell you how tense your arms is supposed to be, or how relaxed it's supposed to be. It's like when you just feel it from the other side, a lot of times, you know, I do get this feedback from followers who learn to lead and they're like, Oh my God, I never realized that it feels this way to the leaders. And, um, you know, it really changes. It really pushes your dance, um, to that next level. So that concludes my little banter on the topic of the worst tanda of your life. I'm curious if you've had one of those recently. If you want to banter about this with me and uh, share your experience, you can send me a message directly on social media at I am so Tango, or you can email me at connect at And, of course, always a standing invitation to join my private Facebook group where I do weekly live chats on different topics and we get to banter on in real time. So, I shall continue the banter next week. Until then, ciao.